We have a new sponsor for the month of March, Stacked Supplements. Stacked Supplements is a locally owned and operated supplement store located in five towns across the Midwest. Cape Girardeau, Missouri, Carbondale, Illinois, Evansville, Indiana, Marion, Illinois, and Paducah, Kentucky. Stack's goal is to help people get results by providing next-level service, products, and support. Stack Supplements is more than just a supplement store. They go above and beyond to help each and every customer achieve their goals and improve their health. Check out their wide selection of everything from general health products and vitamins, minerals, to pre-workouts, fat burners, and proteins, and so much more. You can check out their website at stacksupplements.com, and the link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. For me today, this is a conversation that's kind of a blast from the past. I'm talking to an old buddy of mine, uh, my buddy Josh Rhodes. He's down in Birmingham, Alabama, maybe a little uh, uh, suburb outside of Birmingham, somewhere in that area. But uh, Josh, how you doing today, man? I'm good. Honored to be here. Awesome. We're going to talk about building wealth today. And I've been watching from afar with what Josh has been doing over the years and Looks like he's been through several businesses, built them up, made some money, done some really good things. And so we want to pick his brain. But first, I want you guys to get to know him a little bit. So, Josh, if you would, man, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is that you do? Yeah, um, I'm an Alabama boy, born and raised. Uh, you can tell by the long vowel sounds in my accent uh, that I'm not from uh, anywhere else besides the South. And I uh, grew up in a little northwest Alabama town, 5,000 people strong, you know, graduated with less than 100 people in my high school. Uh, I think a big part of my story is that I grew up uh, one, one generation separated from extreme poverty um, and had my father, who was um, um, in the United States Marine Corps and a Vietnam veteran, not come home. If he had not come home from Vietnam and started a business then I'm pretty sure, um, you know, outside, not that I, not that I could be outside of God's providence, but, um, if he had not done that, then I would probably still be in, um, some, some sort of generational, uh, poverty. Um, you know, my grandma had to make spaghetti sauce with ketchup because she mm. just couldn't afford to buy produce wow. at times. And, um, a lot of my extended family, you know, just lived below the poverty line. There was a lot of abuse uh, domestically and um, um, substance abuse, you name it. And it was just, you know, kind of the sad, some sad stuff, but also awesome stuff. You know, I, I like to think that my roots are, I, I, I grew up in a family that was Christ loving and God fearing, but also um, just good core values. Hmm. And a big part of my story was my dad was super generous. He was a really, really generous man, and he didn't have them much. You know, we're talking about he may have had two six-figure years uh, growing up, but um, he always had more um, to give. And we would have people, you know, drive up in our driveway 
random times, people I didn't know. And my dad would give them cash loans, cash, let them borrow cash, you know, to buy little league jerseys and groceries and pay utility bills and take care of the widows and the orphans type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what was happening at the time. You know, I was in, you know, adolescence, but, you know, my dad passed away last fall and a lot mm-hmm. of the old stories started to come and emerge. And I, th- I started getting the, the second half. of the story that was not visible to me growing up. Um, I say that to say, you know, that's kind of where I'm from. I'm I'm from the country. (laughs) I'm the country mouse that moved to the city that uh, got a, got a college degree, first college degree in my entire lineage. And, um, uh, but at the, at the same time, um, have tried to stay close to the core values and the family values and obviously the gospel um, yeah. that's in, in that was in my dad and, and, and hopefully now is what's compelling me forward. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that about your dad, but it's awesome to hear that there is that lineage of faith and even generosity, you know, that you picked up from him. Yeah. But that's yeah. tough. How old are you now, Josh? Are you, are you 40? I am. I'll be 42 in May. Okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah, man, that's young to lose your dad. That's, that's tough. But uh, when I met you first, uh, you were probably 24 or five, I think. We were doing collegiate ministry together. Or not collegiate ministry. We were doing camp ministry together with Student Life. And uh, back then, you were a Baptist still. And now you've uh, deconstructed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's, the best, that's the best way I've heard it said yet. And, uh, and now you're a Presbyterian, uh, you're an elder at a church, but you're also married. You got three daughters, your house is full of ladies and, uh, it seems like a lot of, a lot of great things going on. So that's pretty cool. Um, and, uh, okay. So however, when I met you, you were a strong leader. Uh, you were leading all of us collegiate. I mean, like it was crazy what we were allowed to do. It was either you or Michael Kelly. I was talking to about that. It was basically millions of dollars worth of equipment and thousands of students that they said, here, 19-year-olds drive across the country with all this. Yeah. <laughs> the oldest yeah. person here is Josh, and uh, we're all looking up to you. And uh, at that time, it seemed like there was a desire for, you know, you want to be a, a preaching uh, pastor, and that's what you want to do full time. And then I sat down with you at a breakfast in Birmingham, maybe five, four or five years ago. We were trying to figure that out just a minute ago. And you were talking about how you really felt some freedom and you just started pursuing business and, yeah. and just started making money for the Lord and, and for his glory and for the, for the good of the people around you. So I would love to hear that transition and that process, because as we're here talking to primarily pastors, many of my listeners, they're either full-time at their church or they're wearing multiple hats and they've got many revenue streams and they're trying to gather revenue streams, build productive property, work with their hands, do whatever they can to make, make ends meet and then build generational wealth something happened in you to the positive where you just were freed up to say you know what i'm just gonna go make a ton of money and see what god does with it so tell us about that well um yeah when you and i met 20 years ago we were i i I tell people you know when i first started my post-collegiate ministry career i was in charge of the christian version of mtv road rules is what it felt like you know we were driving trucks and vans around the country and all these churches were meeting us at college campuses and, and, um, and, 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 you know, looking back on that, it was a, it was definitely an opportunity for us all to, to, um, trial by fire, albeit it was a great opportunity for leadership in various different ways, but I was just a, a humble camp director back then. And 
but I thought I was called to ministry, quote unquote. What I didn't understand at that time, because I, like most of us do, we compartmentalize life instead of our theology being one big room in the in, in one big house. I thought, okay, what I do with my time as a career is my ministry, and I'm called to ministry as a vocation, and um, that's my ministry box. And so I remember being at Sanford University prior to our camp, our camp experience, and I remember sitting in a, in a room with a notorious business professor. Uh, I had an international relations degree that I was graduating with, which still to this day, no one knows what that actually means. But this guy was notorious for giving very blunt, uh, no holds bar advice. And I told him, I'm going to go be a camp director. And I was really proud of myself. I was proud of my direction. I was proud of my trajectory. Remember, small town guy. And uh, I'm going to go lead thousands and thousands of people to Christ. And it's going to be a Billy Graham crusade and all this stuff. And he said, you know what, Josh? You ever had a scene of fish aquarium? I was like, yeah, sure. He said, you know those little pebbles on the bottom of the fish aquarium? Sure I do. He said, you know the little... Um, the mossy sludge that settles on those at the bottom of the fish aquarium. I said, sure. He said, that's going to be you in about 10 years. And I, <laughs> I remember being so offended, <laughs> but um, it was a little prophetic, unfortunately. And what I mean by that is um, I didn't understand faith and works at that time. I didn't understand that as a Christ follower, you can be in ministry and work at the post office. You can be in ministry and own a business. You can be in ministry and be a stay-at-home parent. You can be in ministry and what it'd be a teacher, whatever. I thought you had to be in a ministerial ordained position to be called and be part of ministry. And I didn't understand that. And so Fast forward, hopping around from uh, parachurch ministries to working on church staff to you name it, I was just miserable. I was internally, I was hopeless. I was lost. I felt identity crisis. I kept looking at myself going, I don't want to be arrogant, but I feel like I've been given some tools here. I feel like I've been given some some opportunity here as a, from a personality standpoint, some skills, but I don't feel like I'm maximizing. And you know, that, that male wild at heart, go take over the world push. Mm -hmm. I had it, but there was not for whatever reason, the conduits or the mediums, the canvas that I was painting on just didn't seem to be receiving my portrait, the paint that I was trying to paint with. And um, I finally just was like, it wasn't that I got burnt out on ministry. A lot of people leave the ministry because they get quote unquote burnt out. It wasn't right. that. It was just, I was just literally not fulfilled. And I actually started feeling bad about it. I started feeling guilty about it. Started thinking that um, I was abusing the gospel or that I was not honoring Jesus enough. And just, it was a cycle of really bad stuff but i just had a i had the lord was gracious enough to just go hey bro you are a salesman like mm. you're a sales guy you persuade people 
to help make to make decisions and investments that would be better for them. So go do that. Hmm. And obviously, I was I was a sales guy. I was an entrepreneur at, at heart because I kept finding myself with all these side hustles. Right. I was trying. I was trying to generate more income, and then I felt bad for wanting more money. Mm-hmm. I started, I again, all of this is a reflection of my immaturity and, and my lack of sanctification. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like, and 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 we all grow. And we all have a spectrum. But I hope your listeners can 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 hear this and go, yeah, it's okay to make some money. Mm-hmm. Um. So I yeah I, I finally one day was just like okay I'm I'm literally just gonna go get a corporate sales job and that's what I did and um the rest is history I don't want to get too wordy here maybe 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 you can wrangle yeah. me in no this is helpful because I think for a lot of guys especially around our age we went through a long period of time where money was this kind of thing that we it was just like a form of asceticism like we don't want it we can't get around it yes uh, money's evil inherently evil. Uh, we're not going to build bigger barns to talk about Luke 12, what I've mentioned before we even started recording. And, you know, one of the things that really just clicked in me was, you know, Proverbs wisdom was the the wealth of the kings, um, the promise of, of internal inheritance that God is going to give us. And the fact that money is one of these things clearly that can can get us. There's warnings about the love of money. But if we love God, we're, we're at liberty to use money. And if we love money, that's a problem. But there is this thing in scripture where a righteous man will leave an inheritance to his children's, ch- children's children. We want to be that kind of man who knows how to, to build and manage and even knows that generosity, according to the scriptures, is not simply giving all your money away to poor people. A part of generosity is recognizing, I, is recognizing that I have people in my household and wanting to build household wealth for the good of their life and their children's life and hopefully yes. their, their children's life. And uh, so would lo- I would love to hear you talk about then just the theology of wealth and, and you l- lay it out for us. I mean, I just threw a couple of things out there, but this theology of wealth and then the, the trajectory for normal guys like pastors, what are some good ways that we can start thinking through um, moving forward with, uh, with building, you know, with building that multi-generational wealth? How, how do we, where do we go? How do we learn? So give us a theology of wealth and then where do we go from there? Well, just as just as much as I have it, my my dogs came in and started barking here. So I, I apologize for the recording. It's all right. Um, so I think ultimately what you've got to have is an understanding that the the idea is I, I think about proximity and I can't remember the correct theological terms for it all, but you've got yourself, you've got your family, you've got your community. And you've got the greater, you know, the great commission, you know, beyond the community aspect of it all and redeeming the world around you. And I think as men in the gospel specifically, we've got to think about, okay, what, where, where's my household at? Okay. And then beyond my household, what, what's next? Like, what's the, it's almost like the ripple effect. You drop the stone in the water and then what, what's next? And um, my theology of wealth has been almost as opposite of prosperity gospel as you could possibly get because a, you know, that's just not the gospel. It's, it's heresy and not cool. Right. And it's not about God's love at all. Um, 
but the thing, but the, the, but the, but it's also, if you swing the pendulum too far, you know, it's not evil to use your money as a leverage, especially in the Western world. I think we, the, there's some kind of crazy historical timeline that somebody smarter than I can, can help with this. But like, when you look at the West and you look at everything from the impact of the book of Galatians on freedom uh, and Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation and then Western innovation and Western, all, all of the Western society that we live in, there's something going on from God that's allowed us to have this prosperity. Not that it didn't, you know, prosperity has always existed, but like Mm -hmm. it's here for a reason. It's not just this big test for us to say no to, to prove that we're holy. Right. I think money, capital, wealth, um, can definitely be this thing that we can worship as an idol very easily. And I'd be a liar if I said that I don't do that on a daily basis. But in a but in an imperfect approach, I, I think about Luther's um Luther's famous, I think you I think it's Latin, he, he simul justus et peccator, sim, simultaneously justified yet sinners. Mm-hmm. And so I just take on that approach to go, okay, money is the root of all evil, according to Christ. Um, but he, 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 he and his intelligent design and his greater creation permits it to exist and allows it to be here. And I, chocolate chip cookies can be sinful for me if, mm-hmm. I, if, you know, if I take too much of them, if I eat too much of them. But they may not be for you, right? It, so there's a little bit of subjectivity when it comes to sin. And when it comes to our individual temptations, but when it comes to like, what do we do with our money? For me, my major primary conviction was, okay. And I, you know, going back to my origin story that I shared at the beginning. um, And I can't say that there's something like super magical about this outside of when someone loves you, it creates more love. When someone judges you, it creates rebellion. And my dad loved me. There wasn't a day that went by when he didn't tell me he was proud of me or that he loved me. Even as a grown adult man, he would all, he buried that in me. And then I saw him model generosity all my life, even in, even in his later years. Uh, And he didn't have, I mean, he, he made less money as he got older. So um, I, re- I remember reading or seeing in the, in the home office, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when I was 15. And my mom was balancing the checkbook and it, with stressful eyes, she looked at me and said, I kind of, I wish you would read that. And I did like 10 years later, mm-hmm. kind of during the struggle of me going, man, am I in, am I in, should I be in the ministry or should I not be in the ministry? I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad which is Robert Kiyosaki's book. If no one's read that, they totally should. Okay. Um, I started understanding assets and, and cash flow. And I started realizing, wow, this is just a tool. This is just a medium. There's no like, there's no spirit animal inside of currency that makes me want to turn from the cross. Right. My human condition is what makes me turn from the cross, you know? And so why not tame and take control of money and use it to pay for 
pay for, you know, people's roofs that trees fall through and, and, and pay for cars that just don't work or help the insurance guy who, who needs $5,000 loan because his insurance business is failing, like whatever that stuff is, or donate, you know, obviously be benevolent to your church, you know, like be charitable. And I personally have never had a strong affection for um, on-site missions. And this is where a lot of people are probably going to criticize me, but like, I have never had this massive passive, passionate burning to be on a site, building a house, cleaning up garbage, whatever. I've done it. We've all done it. We've been there. Uh, but I feel really fulfilled when I write the check or in mm -hmm. and, and, and anonymously, albeit like, it's I don't want the bat signal to co to hit the sky and Josh comes running to the right. rescue and get right. Justice League award of the week. That's not that's not what I'm in for it either. But I think the Lord in his providence allows us to redeem the community and the world around us with money. Yeah. Um with the proper motivation. Yeah. Amen. That's good. All right. So let's just say this. There's pastors here and they are either full time or part time. And um in ministry now, let's see, several years, and I'm still wearing multiple hats, still got several things going on and, and got my hands in this, got my hands in that, whatever it may be, but primarily my work is now with the church. Um, and, you know, where, where can we start? Obviously, getting out of debt um, is a big thing, uh, knowing the difference between assets and liabilities, knowing uh, how investments work and, and, and all of that. But for guys that are needing some direction and thinking about man, I got to get my household in order. I got to get some things in line, uh, whether it be retirement stuff or whether it be just uh, any of that kind of stuff. Where, where, do, where do guys go to just really start thinking through how do I uh, use wealth for the glory of God and how do I do better than just barely getting by? Yeah, it's a big question. It's a little bit of a Pandora's box, so I'll keep it simple at first and then you can expand on it as much as you want with questions. But like, I think the number one thing that people need to harness, whether you are vocational ministry or, or not, because it's true no matter what position you, you take, all of this basically comes down to math. And I'm no math major. Like I made a D in contemporary math in college. Like I'm, I'm not that guy. But what I do understand is to build wealth of any kind or to expand any kingdom of commerce of any kind, you must have cash flow. Uh, you will not save your way towards financial freedom. Mm, um, and, and that's where a lot of Dave Ramsey stuff gets misconstrued. Um, you know, he has a very particular target audience. Unfortunately, it's a large target audience in the West. Um, but yeah, and debt's bad. Uh, don't hear me wrong, but to me, it's a secondary priority. Yeah, that's um, good. I, I would rather you get your debt consolidated into the lowest possible interests and all that stuff you can, but really put your shoulder kind of like 80 20 principle. 80% of your activity needs to be put on 20% of the focus. And in this case, I would rather see you put your shoulder behind creating streams of revenue mm -hmm. or income. Because once you have control of income and revenue, it gives you the ability to prioritize where to distribute those funds. And you can use those funds, obviously, to pay off debt or 
to buy more assets that create more cash flow. And, and so if you've ever heard or if you've ever gone through Ramsey's stuff, you know, he talks about the debt snowball where he helped people have a framework to pay off credit cards. Well, the inverse is true about cash flow. If you can, if you can acquire a handful of assets that all have a stream of revenue or uh, a handful of side, side hustles or whatever it is, something that's creating different incomes of, of revenue or streams of income, then that allows you to redirect those things towards the key targets in your financial goals. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the, if no one heard anything else I said today, I think that would be the number one thing I would say. Man, that's huge. You said you can't save your way into financial freedom. You have to have cash flow. That's, that's right. Really, that's huge. I, I agree. That's a big piece. Uh, right now, we have been thinking through productive property, and I've been talking to Jordan that our long, long that's my wife, and that's the long term goal is land acquisition. I want to get land and houses, and we're going to yeah. Airbnb the heck out of them. I'm looking yeah. at, I've got like targets all around me, and we've started with what we've started with is a camper. And we're putting that on outdoorsy and it's just it's trying to get this, this revenue. That's awesome. What you're talking about. Yeah. So I bought a 1991 pop-up camper and remodeled it. Amazing. And then, and then we've already got people that have rented it out this year. And if that goes well, we're talking about doing a couple more of those, but we've already targeted properties around our house and acreage around our house where we've just knocked on the door and talked to them and said, if you ever want to sell, we want to buy it and do whatever we can to get that. And, you know, one of the things that we have been thinking about is, you know, with land, specifically in this volatile economy at this point, um, having, I'm very leery that like, so basically subscription services are everywhere and subscription Mm. services are normalizing access without ownership. Mm. And in reality, I mean, I'm still paying taxes out the wazoo. So even though I, even my private property, I'm still actually paying taxes on and uh so that's frustrating but if we can get these multiple revenue streams now my brain is just spinning thinking about this so for you uh have have you have you i mean are you collecting and and building assets that that you own is that something that you've gone down has bought properties and done something like that or is it yeah is it is it pretty diversified what's the kind of things that you've you've gotten into well, I think there's now with the advent of crypto, there are now six asset classes that you can technically, you know, academically speaking, there's okay. six asset classes that you can invest in. Um, you know, everything from equities to real estate to government bonds, currencies, cryptocurrencies, you name it. Um, and my approach has, oh, and businesses. So my approach has been business okay. first, then real estate. Um, and then crypto and all, all in the chronological order of existence, you know, crypto has only been around for, um, well, Bitcoin, you know, 2009, but like I've been investing in real estate since before, um, the 2008, uh, 2008 subprime mortgage crisis. Okay. Uh, but awesome. then, but then businesses, uh, when you start your own business, whether you're self-employed or you're a business owner with employees, those tend to have the largest ROI, and the shortest time horizon. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So those two dynamics, you've got time horizon and you've got ROI. So like how long can I realize proceeds or real, realize profits? Usually businesses can if you're, especially if you're like a service business or maybe a product distribution business, 
you can get more cash flow faster. If you obviously this takes into account, you have to, you know, have a good product market fit. You've got to understand the bleeding neck pain of the customer and you've got a promise and you've got a USP and you've got something that delivers on that promise. Well, if you've got those things clicking, there are few things in society that will create more money faster than a business that's just providing a customer base with what they want. Mm. Um, but on a secondary level and in a more passive way, because um, a lot of times businesses require operators and you end up being the operator, especially as an entrepreneur who's in startup. But like real estate investing, if you've got access to capital and you can figure out how to get your foot in the door either with other people's money, then hard to beat that from a long term standpoint. Um, sometimes you can you can obviously do things like fix and flips to, to earn short term cash flow. And then, um, then you've got, for me, like I said, uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, which are, which is just a whole other bag of worms right now, because there's a lot of innovation in that space. So those are like my three areas of impact okay. mainly. Um, but yeah, I love, I love businesses and I, like, I'm, I'm most passionate about crypto, like just in terms of Josh's favor uh -huh. <laughs> and, and personal intrigue. I love that. I'm doing that all day long, every day. I, I, all of it. I, I, I use my crypto to buy more real estate and I use my business to cash flow life expenses and extra cash to put into crypto. And then I leverage that to buy more real estate. So it's a little bit of a flywheel. Gotcha. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is just to get guys in their heads spinning and for them to be thinking about, okay, what can, what can I do? And the inherent goodness of wanting to build for those that are around us that God has entrusted to us. If you're wanting to build, you know, there's a big difference between wanting to build wealth because I want to be rich and because I want to get a boat and because I want to go on vacations and because I want to do what I want to do. There's a big sure. difference between that and God, would you bless the work of my hands for the good of those that are around me? And yeah. I, I want to build by your grace with your help, uh, a legacy of faith and of, uh, of hard work that, uh, uh, you know, God to, the, again, repudiate the prosperity gospel. But generally speaking, when we work with our hands for the glory of God, and we're wise in the decisions that we make, well, typically what comes with that is sowing and reaping. And what gets re the return from that when we walk in wisdom is there can be wealth that God entrusts us with, as we don't bury the talents that God has given us, but as yes. we invest the talents that God has given us and multiply those talents. And this is all for the glory of God, clearly. So for uh, guys that have thought, man, this has been really interesting. I mean, do you have any resources or anything that you put together at all? Or could you point us in the right direction for, for the guys that are interested in this discussion of, okay, what's next? Where can they go next? What's been some of the bullseye? This has been really helpful and impactful to me uh, kind of things that, uh, that you could turn our attention to. You mean just general resources? Yeah, general resources, um, or if you have a page or website or any coaching that you do, anything like that, point us in that direction too. Sure. Well, um, I just launched a new business. So this is a great, great kind of like real-time um, case study for, for anyone thinking about starting a business. If you're, if you're sitting here going, man, I, I wonder if I should start a side hustle or a, or a business. The answer is probably yes, and the reason why I say that is because our God is a creator, and we're created in his image. I'm not saying everyone's an entrepreneur. That's not my point, 
but you said I loved your language of building. Like there, you know, sometimes when someone pays me, when when I get a new customer or a customer pays me more for a secondary service, that's gratifying just because it's like, you know, architects, you know, who whoever designed the Eiffel Tower, how many millions of people look at that a year and are satisfied optically, I guess. And so you just got, it's got to be gratifying as the creator, as the architect to go, oh, wow, people love that. Well, the same thing is true with, you know, business owners. That's probably been the, the internal thing for me uh, that I've, I've enjoyed sharing that feeling with our creator, I mm. think. Because um, when people pay you money, they're, they're paying, they're telling you that they know, like, and trust you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's an interesting responsibility to bear. Uh, if you want to, if you want to know more about crypto, my new brand that I launched is called Crypto Y'all. Um, I, I have a I have a very very not uh, sexy homepage. It's as a matter of fact, it's just a landing page that says uh, it's a it's a case study that you can opt in and be on my email list. Um, it's called CryptoYall.co. Um, one of my portfolios, I, I, I talk to, I, I basically show you um, or introduce you to the pathway um, of taking a portfolio from zero dollars to two hundred and thirty-two thousand um, dollars, with, with just with cryptocurrency investing, and that's a whole other bag of worms, obviously. But that's the fun thing that I'm doing all day long. I'm a full-time crypto investor now. Okay. Um, I have, I'm, I'm very focused on passive income and. Um, I discovered that because I was doing it all day, every day, and I had like 45 people in my sphere of influence go, hey, man, how do I get into crypto over like a six or a seven week period in Q4? Because Bitcoin was at an all time high in Q4 of 2021. And so everyone was asking me because it was in the zeitgeist and then the headlines and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so like I kept finding myself saying the same thing over and over again. I was like, well, this is market validation. I might as well create a business. So I started Crypto Y'all as a brand that allows me to do small cohorts of people and I just I invest in crypto and let them come alongside me and, and learn how I do it and how I've done it over the last five years and built my you know expanded my net worth and all that stuff awesome. and ultimately be able to redirect that wealth somewhere uh, that glorifies God. Good deal. Well we'll put that in the show notes and guys if you're interested in that because I think there's so many people even like myself that have questions about crypto and and you know it's uh, to me the smartest people in the world are those who understand cryptocurrency and how to how to do it so Josh you're you're in that top 1% small, smartest people in the world in my book <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's crazy hey last last question here uh, I give everybody a chance I just set up the question and, and give it to you and really just uh, give you an opportunity to praise God for his grace in your life uh, last question I ask everybody is Josh Rhodes, why do you love Jesus so much? Well, um, it's hard not to give the Sunday school answer here. I'll do my best not to do that and give the real transparent reason. Uh, I think at a, I think at a young age, I was, um, and I didn't know how to process it at the time because my theology had not kept caught up with it. But I, I realized that I'm a terrible person <laughs> and that I'm, I'm a devious, uh, cunning, backstabbing person mm. apart from Christ. And that is a miserable person uh, to live with, not only with, for other people to live with, but for myself. 
And that person was wrapped in guilt and shame. And the gospel and the message of Jesus unwrapped me uh, from that guilt and shame. And he taught me what it's like to be someone who is fulfilled because other people around me are made more than I am. Mm. And uh, the old, the old John three thirty verse is talking to with one of my daughters, he must increase. I must decrease. Uh, has never rang more true uh, than it does right now in my life. And uh, every time I decrease, it doesn't mean I'm happier or things get better, but it definitely means that there's a, a, a better underlying foundational joy hmm. um, that makes me want to keep waking up in the morning. Hmm. That's good stuff, man. Well, I'm so thankful you came on the show, everybody. I've been talking with Josh Rhodes. Josh, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, dude.